Have you ever wanted to get data out of Xero or QuickBooks Online into a Google Sheet and then automatically do it again tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, GACon, later in the episode. English, Spanglish, Espanol. We all speak free, fine, go and get yours. Now get deductions, get deductions. Make sure you're not missing nothing. You can follow it, you can do it. You can follow it, you can do it. We can help you get it through it, get it filed, nothing to it. Do your taxes, do your taxes. Everybody, everybody, do your taxes. Got everything you need to reenact this. Do your taxes, do your taxes. All people, all people. All people are tax people. All people. All people. All people are tax people. Well, that's what we have to look forward to this weekend. Well, I went to the future and I retrieved the Super Bowl commercial for TurboTax, but I have bad news. There is no QuickBooks Live commercial. So, the, so your All prediction the commercial slots are sold out and there's only a TurboTax Live commercial. So I completely, I, I've been predicting this for 11 months, I think. And it's never happened. Well, but they had the, they they did commercials for QuickBooks Live in the championship games. Just not the Super Bowl. The timing's just not right for QuickBooks Live because that's not what people are not thinking about that right now. They're thinking about getting their taxes done. That was very catchy. I have to say, better definitely better than the weird robot child ad from last year. Do you remember that one? Oh, far better. Yes. <laughs> like th- 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 this is gonna on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, people are gonna have this as an earworm all week. It's all people are tax people. Um, and it ties into what was the survey last year? The survey data we had last week: ninety percent, ninety-five percent of everybody's very confident in their tax filings. Yeah, people are getting comfortable with doing their taxes themselves online. You know what we forgot to do is the intro. Should we jump in and do that now? Oh yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that has been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. OnPay is an easy-to-use full payroll service that's the right fit for your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. They handle all the complicated stuff like agricultural payrolls, Form 943, multi-state, and H-2A visas. OnPay even makes it easy to switch from other payroll services by doing all the data entry for each client that you set up. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of OnPay payroll service. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. If you have clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, Core is the app for them to best manage their firm, increase their staff productivity, and ultimately increase their profits. Core is an all-in-one app for project management, including time and expense tracking, budgets, forecasting, client billing, and accounting. It includes a full-function mobile app and a cutting-edge voice-based assistant. Even though Core is an all-in-one app, it still works nicely with accounting apps like QuickBooks and Xero. To learn even more about BQE Core, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, here we go. So it's uh, tax season. TurboTax is out in force. Have you seen any of these kind of sponsored posts on Business Insider? Have those popped into your feed? Sponsored posts from like Intuit? I'm going to pop it right here into the show notes for you, David, so you can check it out. It says, the tiny mistake I made with TurboTax that took hours to fix. This is in Business Insider. And I was reading this on my phone and like I said, is this, this cannot possibly be a real Business Insider article because it just seems like way, way too promotional. You just implied that there are, are any real business insider articles. Well, <laughs> like, no, I mean it's not it's not like it's not to the level of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or anything like that, but it's not bad usually. You know, it's like it's helpful. I actually like the little bullet points at the top of every article are great for people who like to skim. Well, first of all, it's by this guy Eric Rosenberg, who has written some other articles all about TurboTax that are highly promotional. Uh, this one I thought was particularly interesting because it's cautioning people. Watch out if you use the free file version of TurboTax, but then after you enter all your information, you find out that you don't meet the criteria, you're going to have to enter your information all over again into the paid TurboTax product. 
And that makes filing your taxes a big hassle. So, you know, if you don't want to have that problem where you choose the free file option, you can't go back, then maybe, you know, just do the the regular TurboTax. Interesting. Right? So, Interesting yeah, approach. I feel like a, a guest post or a seated well, article of some type. Well, it's... On mobile, when you view it on mobile, there's a little tiny pop-up at the bottom that says add, and that's all that there is. I didn't even notice that until I was all the way through it. And then on desktop, there's a little blurb at the top in italics that says, personal finance insider writes about products, strategies, and tips to help you make smart decisions with your money. We may receive a small commission from our partners, but our reporting and recommendations are always independent and objective. These articles, when I discover they're like this, I don't even bring them to the show, right? They don't they usually make it, but I, I, this one's so obviously bad, I guess it, it qualifies to be on. I, I do though question the... Take the article out of this, but just the logic of this. So if you start TurboTax free file and you discover, oh, never mind, I, I forgot I sold, I have a 1099 or I sold stock or I forgot I did this thing. Yeah. And now I want to use the real TurboTax, the paid TurboTax. I can't upgrade my data or move it? No, they won't let you. I wonder if that's um because of fear of the regulatory stuff. Like what, it seems so illogical to me. Like if, like, don't you, is it, did the pendulum swing too far the other way of like, we don't want to be accused of upgrading people that are using free. It might be part of the IRS rules. Yeah, I don't know. But I thought the approach was interesting. Like they're still clearly trying to obviously get people, as many people as possible to use TurboTax paid. Yeah. And not and dissuade them from using the free file product. So this was kind of a, I thought a very sneaky approach to that. Uh, another article by Eric Rosenberg on Business Insider is, I've tried four major tax software programs and TurboTax gets me the biggest refund every time. I, I saw that article and I also feel like when I saw it, I didn't read the whole article, I saw the headline and I feel like I've seen that article every year, like last year and the year before and the year before. But yeah. It's just so ridiculous because unless there's actual errors in how these programs are handling your tax situation, the, the refund should be exactly the same. That's not what differentiates these programs, right? And that's like when the wire cutter says that TurboTax Deluxe is the best version, which they do, they say it's because the workflows are easier. It's just easier to understand the questions and answers and all that, not because the actual calculations are better. You know, I I think because we get approached all the time when people want to advertise on the podcast and people want us to just talk about them and they'll pay us to talk about them. And this is why I make it so clear that all our sponsors, it's very clearly called out as this episode sponsored by. So there's a separation of content from sponsorship because I argue most of the media out there, especially in our industry, it's very gray. Oh yeah. It's super, super gray and it's not clear what's paid for or not paid for. And so I, I, I'm really insistent about that, like to keep it as separate as possible. And so just to clarify, TurboTax did not pay for us to play the whole entire commercial. It's just, <laughs> it's so infectious. We couldn't not stop listening to it over and over again. I, I was very amused by it. And and you're going to be hearing it. If you watch the Super Bowl, you're going to be hearing that in your head now. And I apologize to you. Well, one of two things is going to happen here, right? Is some people are going to listen to it on the Super Bowl. It's going to be stuck in their ear and it's going to get out of their ear. Then they're going to tune in the podcast and it's going to go right back in their ear again. And they're going to be cussing us. <laughs> Damn it, David and Blake. Why? But it's very infectious. It's pretty, pretty funny. So uh, want to stay on taxes for a second? Yeah. Okay. So my uh, daughter's going to graduate eighth grade here, you know, go on to high school in the state of Arizona. You got to pass that civics test. All right. You know? And so she's got a review test and she's taking the practice test at the table yesterday. And she yells out, what is the deadline for filing federal income tax forms? And I yelled back to her. I said, if you don't answer that correctly, you have to move out. But technically, it's not just April 15th, right? Right. Well, the correct answer, if you're an accountant, is it depends. <laughs> That's not an option. <laughs> Which on is, this test. it's always the be- the answer to basically any question where you don't know the answer. So, um, are you going to tell her or are you going to make her look it up? Because Oh, pretty... she knew. She, she was smart enough okay. to figure that out. But, um, okay, good. The... <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't know if that's true for all kids, right? Yeah. What she should do is she should answer, um, you know, to get extra credit. Well, it depends if your client is uh, filing an extension or not. And if they're an individual or a corporation, now, what is the entity type? Yeah. They're, they're, it didn't it didn't have any fill-in spots for those questions. The sad <laughs> part is I think some this test is made to where you really have to screw up to not pass it. Like one of the questions is like, who is the president of the United States? Yeah, that would be, well, you know, actually... When we do real polls of that, of like the general population, there is a significant part of the population that does not know this question every year. It's like when uh, Jimmy, well, it wasn't Jimmy Fallon. It was like, uh, who, who walks the Hollywood? 
Oh, the man in the street type interview stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They always find people who don't know. We should do that at an accounting conference once. <laughs> we, we can ask them about filing dates. Uh, all right. Enough about that. Should we get into some real news? I got one more tax story, tax related story. So CPA Trendlines in their annual accounting firm operations and technology survey asked firms, what is their tax software? So are you curious to know what is the most popular tax software among firms? Like this is software they're using to produce returns internally. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what's your, what, Excel. what software do they It's got to be Excel. No, thank God. No, no, no. But nobody's doing that. Well, maybe some, but 28% of all firms in 2019 were using CCH Pro System. Uh, 16, well, let's round up to 17% UltraTax CS from Thomson Reuters. 14% CCH Access Tax. 12% Lacert. And then there's 7% that says uh, not applicable, none, or unsure. So I wonder if the people who are still filling out paper forms are included in that number. What was the percentage of unsure? Well, it's not applicable, none, or unsure is 7%. Now, not all the respondents to the survey may, are in tax necessarily. Okay, right? okay. So I guess if you're just really ignorant of what your tax people are up to, you might not know what they're using. So then after that, 7% Drake tax. Then Pro Series Professional at 4%, Other at 4%, ATX at 2%, Intuit Tax Online 1.4%. Yeah, so CCH comes out on top, but that's really thanks to the medium, large, extra large firms, those over um, uh, 10, 11 people. On the small firm side, uh, it looks like Lacert and UltraTax and Drake are coming out as winners there. So, um, tagging on this, Intuit Pro Connect had an announcement. They uh, released some new features and functionality. I'll read the uh, article title. So, this is an article from Silicon Valley Daily. Intuit Pro Connect expands partnership ecosystem to accelerate software capabilities for tax professionals. Um, one of the big features is hosting for, for Pro Series and Lacert, which I was actually shocked that this wasn't already being done. Another thing was e-signatures. And then uh, pay by refund enrollment functionality. What was the, what was the first one you said? Hosting. Oh. But, so Right Networks is going to host Pro Series and Lacert software. Got it. Um, and uh, I can quote here, cloud hosting also means tax professionals can have a more flexible and secure storage options of tax data in their current workflow. Well, since you brought up hosting, David. Yes. That brings us to the Summit hosting outage, which we found out about last week on Friday, right after we had finished recording. And this is a big deal. Did we cover Summit previously? We talked about them well, when they, they acquired InSync, right? They purchased InSync. InSync last, was it June or July, had a major outage. And it was so big that we extensively <laughs> covered the InSync outage. People were out for what, weeks, right? In many cases. Yes. So then InSync gets bought by Summit Hosting maybe a distressed purchase kind of situation, right? Clients are leaving. Let's let's save this this enterprise. And then Summit itself goes down uh, from ransomware. And I, like, I can't help but think, was it an InSync customer that, you know, they were porting over and then infected the Summit hosting environment? All you can do is think because there's not much for communication on this. I, I'm surprised that we didn't even hear about it till Friday because it was already down uh, a full week before that. Apparently, this started on Saturday the 18th, according to a user posting on a Reddit thread. So we were recording last week on the 24th, and we found out about it. So yeah, almost a full week, people were were out. And somebody as recent as 16 hours ago posted that on Monday, they logged in and tried to open their two QuickBooks company files and couldn't get in because the password wouldn't work for either company file. And they realized that the server didn't have the latest versions of the company files. The versions that had been restored were from two months ago and two months of transactions were missing. So then they contacted Summit and Summit said they would restore the most recent backup. There was no word, but later in the day, the files had been restored to the latest versions. And they won't answer this person's question as to like why that happened or how that happened. They're closing support requests without a response. And just going through the customer feedback and the reviews and stuff, it seems like they're just ignoring a lot of people completely. The, the, their lack, there's a lack of communication 
on their Twitter handles or anything else. Um, we reached out, right? You reached out. I, I sent them. an email because they because they they emailed us when after the acquisition to give us some details about the acquisition of InSync. And so I replied to that email. I said, "Hey, I heard you guys were out a week. Was it, it was ransomware? Can you? Is there any public information? Is there a link or a blog or any communications?" And nobody replied to the email. Yeah. Um, what I find entertaining about this is if you rewind a little bit. And this is a game that all these hosting companies are playing, a marketing game. So when InSync went down, a lot of hosting companies, including Summit Hosting, but employees of Summit Hosting were tweeting at customers who were like, my InSync's down. Hey, you should switch to Summit Hosting. Well, now there's new, uh, I think, um, go to my ERP. They, they were tweeting at customers of Summit Hosting, go, hey, you're down. Come switch to us. We never crash. We're reliable. <laughs> and I'm like, people are just like jinxing themselves. Right. But I find it very entertaining because if I had to bet money, guess who's going down next? <laughs> like, yeah. It's going to be the one who, who brags about how they never go down. Let's talk a little bit more about what exactly happened here. Okay. So we know it was a ransomware attack because a user posted an email sent by Summit Hosting to users. And we know that it started on January 18th. So they said on Saturday, January 18th, the My ASP environment was hit with a ransomware attack. Our security systems caught it immediately and shut down all client servers, of which there are 400 within this environment, in order to isolate the attack and protect end users' data. In order to resolve this, our engineering team had to scan and restore every server individually. We had about 90% of the servers back online by Monday night. So they went down, they got attacked Saturday, they said they had 90% of the servers back online by Monday night. Continuing... But in the process of scanning and restoring one of the servers, the encryption file that triggered the attack on the 18th was executed again, and the whole environment had to be shut down a second time. They continue and say, it is very important to note that backups are secure and data was not compromised. Sounds like what happened is ransomware was triggered in this environment. By the way, this is a shared hosting environment, and that is really, really important to note here. Because all of the attacks that I am aware of that have spread like this, that have impacted a lot of people, are on shared hosting environments, meaning that you are on the same server as many other companies. So one company gets infected and it spreads throughout potentially many servers. And this is very different than dedicated hosting, where you get your own computer in a data center that is isolated from the other ones. So if, if somebody gets infected in that data center, it's not going to spread to you. It's a lot more expensive to have your own dedicated server, but probably at this point, right, worth it. So very, very important to note. But it's also interesting here, right, that it was a backup file. It was a file from a backup that then reinfected everything. So somehow they didn't have a way of stopping the ransomware from getting into the backups. Well, I think it's not so much that the ransomware gets in the backups. It's It was in that machine. It mm -hmm. was there. You backed up a machine not knowing you, and you just did a backup not knowing you backed up because it wasn't discovered yet, right? And I right, think this, I is, this has happened with some of the other cases we've looked at is where you know it's you have to make sure the backup restoring, and this is why you have to go so far back, right? And people are missing data, and because right. so if, that, that's, if that backup has the virus or virus or the ransomware, like, yep. you can't restore it. You're just bringing it back. So that's why this one customer that I mentioned earlier logged in and found company files that were two months old. Because they were just going back as far as they, what they thought was safe. So people might be working on files and not even realize that they lost data if Summit hasn't informed them of that. So that's something that really watch for, right? And this is all a really, really good reason to, if you're using a hosting provider, make your own backups, not of the whole environment, but of, of your critical accounting files and do it every day, multiple times per day even, down to your local machine or a separate host, or a Dropbox file, or a Box file, or a Google Drive, or something that is not connected. And that way, if this does happen, you have your own backup that you can restore locally, and you can keep working. And that was another problem with this whole thing, is that people were, people were requesting their backup files, but Summit didn't have a way to get them their backup, backup files, because they had to restore the whole environment, and that takes a lot of time, and they were just completely you know, slammed. And apparently, if, if customers were pestering them, and people said they had success just calling over and over and over again until somebody answered, and then that person would get them the backup files. I was actually surprised there wasn't more about this online. There, I mean, there, there was posts, but it didn't explode the way, considering the deadline that everybody's at of today, it's, it's full-blown busy season right now. Either A, it's there's not many people using some hosting, right? And so that's why it was a little quiet, or 
they're just everybody's just so busy like okay that's not working we have to do them by hand or do things manually or and they just don't even have time to complain about it online right now yeah I, I, it's well i just think a lot of times too like the people using these services are business owners themselves and and you know they're very sympathetic uh and understanding and actually probably more than they really ought to be i don't know if i, w- I would not be this patient the link to this reddit thread will be in the show notes you should take it take a look because this is actually, you know, people are furious. And you look at the online reviews lately and Summit Hosting has just plunged. Now, one more thing I want to add is there's a big question as to did Summit Hosting simply restore backups and not pay for the ransomware or did they pay the hackers? Because this happens all the time. And uh, somebody posting here on this Reddit thread said, Yesterday, I logged in using TeamViewer while their engineer was working. Later, I saw a message saying, quote, all files successfully decrypted. Have a nice day, unquote. I'm wondering if they paid the ransomware. My understanding, that's the game, right? The insurance companies, they, they, sell, they sell this uh, ransomware insurance. Then they do payouts, but what they're collecting in ransomware insurance fees from companies is nowhere near what they have to pay out. And everybody's happy about this. So the insurance companies want people to pay out. So more people buy the insurance. So I, it is what it is. But if if you were affected by the summit and uh, you felt like you're in a silo, there's other people that have been affected too. Yeah, and if you have more information on this or anything we reported isn't correct, uh, let us know. We want to hear from the users. And again, I just want to emphasize: this is my key takeaway from all of this. Use a dedicated private server. Do not use shared hosting environments. Just because somebody is listed as a preferred provider. That doesn't mean that they're secure because Sage and Intuit and these other app developers, they don't generally investigate the security protocols of these companies. To become a vendor associated, uh, you just answer a questionnaire. David, we've talked about the Intuit authorized commercial hosting providers list. We have to update it now because now I believe four out of the 16. I, I think we're at five. Five? Five out of the 16 authorized commercial hosting providers have been ransomware. <laughs> All right. What concerns me about this, I think, is the risk that you're putting your data in. The whole value prop of this was, I don't want to have to do the security in-house on my own computers. So I'm going to use a service like this, and they're going to provide me the security. But I'd argue that these companies are a higher target because they have 2,000 customers, 2,000 machines that could be a target of ransomware. So if one gets, all it takes is one person on one of those machines to open up the wrong email or install the wrong file, and there's a chance everything's infected. But if you have your own network for your own accounting firm, if the dentist office next door in your shopping mall gets ransomware, that's not going to jump into your company over the wall into your servers. And I almost feel like the risk may be the pendulum swinging where it's actually less risk for you to have it on your own on site. Now, I still think that it's more risky to have it on site. I mean, you're not as big a target, but there's just no way that your router, your firewall is going to be as good as what these hosting providers have. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 best solution is use a dedicated server. Don't use shared hosting, even though it's cheaper, and and otherwise have your own host. But if you do if you do host it yourself in your office, have a professionally installed firewall to prevent somebody from hacking in and professional monitoring and have a backup plan for what is going to happen if your hosting provider does go down. Because according to a report from a cybersecurity company called Coveware, the average number of days a ransomware incident lasts is now 16.2 days, 16.2 days, which is up from 12.1 days. And that's because of how long it takes to restore all of the files that get encrypted in a ransomware attack. And most of these companies don't have a good enough backup plan for how they're going to do that. They don't have the personnel to do it. So you need to have the files so that you can keep operating for up to two weeks. So you just had that other article, three, four articles ago, and you're talking about what tax software people are using uh, at the firms. Are all of those desktop apps, like that part of the, even though in the cloud accounting and the small business SaaS app side of the world, lots of things are cloud now in SaaS. But on the tax prep world, am I making an assumption here, but a lot of it is not cloud yet. Basically- the, the only option is to host. Yeah, virtually all of it that people are using has to be hosted. It's either desktop, local desktop, in-office host, uh, server-based or hosted environment because the software companies have not innovated. Now there is, I think, um, Intuit Tax Online, right? That's completely online, but it's a very, very tiny install base. So, and I mean, obviously, Canopy's taking a shot at this, and some others, but well, they don't. in the grand scheme of things, is firms have to use hosting if they do tax prep. Yeah, basically, they don't have an option. Like, if, if you're not doing tax prep, you have options. You could 
not use hosting at all, right? You could just be all 100% cloud. You could, yeah, you could get away with it, like, you know, if you're just doing accounting. But yeah, if you do any tax, you got to have a solution. That's why this is really important. This is going to happen again. We'll, this, we'll talk about this again before 2020 is over, I'm sure, with some other provider. It's just a matter of time. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by GACon. GACon is the Google accounting connector that seamlessly integrates Google Sheets with Zero or QuickBooks Online and synchronizes data in both directions, eliminating the need for mistake-prone manual exports and imports. GACon is a powerful app for accountants, advisors, bookkeepers, and business owners to automate reporting, consolidate data, and build charts and dashboards. With GACon, you can use the power and convenience of Google Sheets to customize and manipulate data in ways you can't do with your cloud accounting software. Imagine automatically sending your clients reports with just the data they need when they need it. GACon can even be used for backing up historical data. To learn more about GACon's powerful automation features, get a demo, and receive free training, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash GACon. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash G-A-C-C-O-N. GACon, the Google Accounting Connector. I got another security story kind of on this, <laughs> on this front. It's good. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't have any story that tags on, so go well, ahead. Maybe Summit hosting can, be, can feel a little bit better because Microsoft had a recent security shocker. A database containing 250 million Microsoft customer records was found unsecured and online, just sitting out there in the open. 250 million. Yeah. Spanning 14 years, it was just sitting there online without password protection and uh, this was found by a security research team from Comparatech. They uncovered no less than five servers containing the same set of 250 million records. It was customer service and support logs detailing conversations between Microsoft support agents and customers from across the world. And it spanned a period from 2005 through December 2011. So and by unsecured, it means anyone with a web browser who just stumbled across the databases could access them. No authentication was required. So there's no evidence that this data was actually accessed by anyone maliciously, but just the fact that it was sitting out there, an open database. I mean... Since possibly 2011, yeah. it's just been sitting out there somewhere on some drive. Well, you know, if um, you're using like OneDrive or Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever, one of those services, and you send a link to somebody so that they can access a document and you change the security settings so that anyone with the link can access that. Like we do that all the time just because it's convenient because we don't know if the recipient is going to have a login for these services. Well, that's essentially what you're doing. And the Microsoft folks just did this <laughs> grand scale. So this was the result of misconfigured security rule, uh, rule, um, rules. Uh, but I think it ties back to this whole discussion about the California Consumer Privacy Act, David, because as you pointed out, it's going to cause a ton of companies to have to create new databases that consolidate all the information about their customers in one place. That's actually a huge risk because if they don't configure the security settings properly, then somebody might be able to access all of your data rather than just a piece of it, right? Imagine if this was a- It's making it more convenient, but you already brought that up. Like it's convenient for thieves because they can just get all your data. All they need is one piece of your data. They contact a company, they send them an email with all your data, right? right? Or or in this case, they just have to break into the one main database now and they get all everybody's data. Exactly. So unintended consequences here. Thanks, California. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, at least the weather's good. It's going to be 81 degrees today. It's January 31st. So, so we can- Thanks, California. You want to talk about the federal government? Yeah. The AICPA backs legislation to present a report on the nation's economic health. So how is the economy doing? Is the report out yet? Well, no, there's no report yet. There's a bill being presented by Kristen Semina. She's a Democrat senator from Arizona. It's, it's a bipartisan fiscal state of the nation resolution, which would require a nonpartisan official to present a clear, unbiased assessment of America's economic health. Uh, unbiased assessment. And the ICPA is supporting this bill. Oh, that's cool. So this is sort of be like the Office of Budget and Management, right? Uh, or Management and Budget, where it's a nonpartisan group that reports on things that we need to know. Yes. And the, they're going to apparently prepare the report yearly. And then they have another 45 days later to report out on it. But I just, the, the rewind here, there's a trillion dollars of bunk journal entries by the Pentagon. Right. We talk about the IRS's accounting problems yeah, and, and yeah. money going out and there's no approvals or controls or spend over, you know, refunds they send out, um, computer systems are out of date. Like 
is this, this bill feels just like it's a political game. Like, I don't know if this is really possible. The accounting systems don't work. Well, this is going to be a report about the state of our economy, not the government. So, but it's all tied to the nation's debt and federal budget deficit. That's what it's really about. They want it, it so lawmakers can understand the federal budget and deficit. Well, yeah, this is fun, right? It's always fun to create new reports and it's sexy, right? And whereas fixing the Pentagon's accounting or actually enabling the IRS is not. We need more dashboards. We need, we need a big dashboard app that pulls data from all these government systems and any citizen can just go view the dashboard every day if you want. Well, you know, maybe the folks in California who are building the state accounting system could uh, get to work on that. And we could spend a billion dollars on it and not have anything after 10 years. 1.1 billion, right? I think it's past that. So, yeah, uh, I think it's like can... 0.1 billion every month now at this point. So I saw another article with a great quote from Warren Buffett. Yeah. Um, so Warren well, Buffett, wait, wait, before uh, we go there, oh, you, oh, you, you mentioned still. the deficit, right? And yes, and I just saw a stat actually about the deficit. So the CBO is reporting that the debt has topped twenty-two trillion dollars. Federal debt held by the public is projected to rise to thirty-one point four trillion at the end of twenty thirty, which amounts to, and this is the big numbers, ninety-eight percent of GDP. So in ten years, the federal debt will nearly equal our entire gross domestic product. So that would be like David, if you or I held personal debt that was equal to our entire salary for the year. That's the American way, baby. Like, I think a lot of people like, There's do, a lot actually. of people are like that. Yeah. They're, 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 this is like, okay, whatever. Yeah, oh. that, that's what it is. And so may, maybe that alone is, if that's the American way, that's fine. But then it's projecting that debt held by the public could climb as high to 180% of GDP by 2050 if we don't do something. So that's what really worries me is if we go underwater or you know if we if we go 100% more than 100% of gdp on debt how do we extract ourselves from that like i'm going to end up paying for all this stuff as a millennial it's per more money it's not a big deal but but this is, <laughs> here's the real motivation though if you really read kristen semenes quote about this right so this is her quote now keep in mind arizona has a lot of retirees you know what retirees love to do what they love to vote they love to vote vote okay? for higher taxes Measure- well, they just, they vote. They just vote, right? They show up to the polls and vote. Mm-hmm. Unlike any other demographic, the retirees vote. Yeah. So, so here's her quote. Measuring America's economic standing is a common sense step to address our nation's debt, grow our, grow our economy, and protect retirement benefits of Arizonans have earned. So this is a, it's a, this is a vote pandering move. This is not a real bill. Well, this is why I'm putting as much as I can into my Roth IRA because – I want to pay the tax now because I feel like it's inevitable that old people are going to get together and just raise taxes on working people to pay for their benefits. That's what's going to happen politically. So my taxes are going to go up. Our taxes are going to go up, David, uh, to to fund the retirement of boomers who never saved. I remember me saying that when we were 18, 19, 20 years old in like accounting one-on-one classes and I don't know. It'll happen. It'll tip. I mean, unless unless the boomers just keep working, which is also possible, like that keeps extending. We we keep thinking that the retirements are going to come uh, in record numbers, and they just don't. So you know, maybe that'll keep us going. Speaking of saving for retirement, right? Mm-hmm. You obviously uh, want to be like Warren Buffett one day. So there's a quote from Warren Buffett about how a I don't want to be like of- Warren Buffett one day. He still lives in the same house that he had like you know thirty forty years ago. If I'm if I'm as rich as Warren Buffett, I'm going to be on my yacht in the Mediterranean with a helicopter and speedboats. <laughs> you know, oh, that's the whole. That's what I'm. I'm investing in podcasting for a reason, David. Yes, the the, the our podcast boat that we're going to buy. <laughs> the podcast. The the it, maybe it'll be a, t- a deduction if it is a recording studio. Oh, all right. we, we we got a plan now. We got a plan. So his quote is related to uh, complex accounting is a warning sign. And essentially, he talks about how businesses that have complex explanations of their financials, you have an insight to the character of management and you probably shouldn't trust them and just move on and invest in something else. So I'll, I'll, I can read his quote if you'd like here. Yeah. Uh, accounting can offer you a lot of insight into character of management. 
When you don't have a product where revenues and expenses are being matched up on something close to cash in the short term, you have the opportunity for people to play games with the numbers. And some people have learned to do that very well. And they're sometimes created long lasting stock manipulation or promotion schemes that have enriched the managers at the expense of the public over time. If you ever get suspicious about accounting, just go on to the next company. That's good advice. Yeah, don't put up with complicated accounting. Like stepping back, like, would you invest in the Pentagon knowing what you know about that? Right? <laughs> no, like, I would like, not. Like, like step back and really look at some of these things. Yeah. Hey, so did we get any reviews this week? You've got mail. We did get a review. One review came in on Podchaser. This is from Sam I.M. I really enjoy listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Really appreciate the effort that you guys put in to make the podcast so engaging and insightful. I am just starting out as a cloud accountant in a country where cloud accounting is not so popular yet. And I'm grateful for this priceless resource, which keeps me well-informed on the latest trends in the industry. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Yeah. Sam I am. Green eggs and ham. That's a, a great screen name. And I received some feedback from a listener, Caroline Dillard. She said, hey, Blake, I was listening to y'all's last episode on my drive into work today. Really enjoyed your discussion about goodwill. It was a much better breakdown than any of my textbooks have given. When you were talking about pneumatic tubes, there was a Wells Fargo across the street that had pneumatic tubes. Thought you'd like to know the tubes are alive and well in North Texas. She should go over and put some Cloud Accounting podcast stickers in there and send them them over to the Wells Fargo folks. Go for a That's great. Thank you, uh, Caroline, for that feedback. And um, just a reminder to everyone, if you want to write us a review, we really appreciate those. They help get the word out. You can write a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Uh, And while we're at it, if you want to contact me and tell me anything, give me any feedback, I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And how about you, David? I'm at David Leary, so I'm easy to get a hold of. Hey, Blake, do you ever want to be a CFO? You know, part of the reason that I'm doing what I do now over at Giraffe is because I want to learn how to do, you know, financial projections, look forward rather than backward, right? And increase my value. Like that's what CFOs do, right? But you're a CPA, right? Yeah. So did you know that of the thousand largest public companies in the US, CPAs that are CFOs are at their lowest level in six years? Yes. I saw this and it's kind of depressing. It used to be over what, 40%? six years ago. Yeah. And it's declined by quite a lot, 10% or more in in just that amount of time. Why why does this article say that CPAs are not CFOs as much anymore? Well, a lot of it is the, the a CFO just has to oversee so much more than just the books, right? right. They, they, the human resources, IT, risk management, they just have a lot more to do than just paying attention to the books. Uh, not to mention the actual financing parts of things, right? Never mind the accounting, but just the, the finance game. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who just came up only doing the books don't have that skill set to manage all these other things. Uh, the interesting part of the article, though, was um, this is from Michael Bryant. He is a CFO of the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy. So he said that uh, CPAs are held to a professional code of conduct. If they breach it, they could be suspended or lose their license. If you believe that ethics bring value to an organization, the accounting offers something more. Mm-hmm. The accountant offers something more. So it's kind of weird because he's almost implying like because they're not a CPA, they're questionable. Well, somebody having a professional license that has an ethics requirement definitely increases confidence by investors, by management. CPAs, I would hope, are going to be less likely to do something improper and more concerned with ethics. So that's a, it's a good reason to hire a CPA. But apparently, that's not as important anymore, or other things have become important enough where the CPA is just not as valuable in the head of finance position. Hey, let's just go back to all the discussion we've been having over the last few years about the CPA license, the value of the CPA license. Is it keeping up with what the market wants? It has not been. And the AICPA and NASBA have taken notice, and that's why they're doing this whole CPA evolution project to change the initial licensure to include more than just traditional audit, tax, and accounting and add technology and add business intelligence and all these things. So that's that's a good move. It even ties back to the discussions we've had about um, the FASB and the gap rules and, and yes. what people even value, the, like, like the value of accounting and accounting yeah. reports, like in general, not just the CPA, just in general, the value people are perceiving it, pro- it provides companies. Yeah. So I got into kind of a vigorous debate on LinkedIn after posting this with some folks. This is my feeling. It's that 
accounting standards have gotten many, many, many times more complicated since the 1970s. We have just so much more that we have to worry about when it comes to gap. So what are accountants focusing on in corporations, in these big uh, 1,000 largest public companies? They're spending more and more of their time dealing with technical accounting. And that gives accountants less time to focus on other stuff. So my concern is that accounting is getting pigeonholed into this compliance function where we're spending all of our time as CPAs getting the financial statements right according to GAP, which has gotten so, so complicated. But have financial statements gotten that much more useful to investors? If accounting standards are four or five times more complicated than they used to be, are the financial statements four or five times more useful? I think we all agree no. I haven't heard anyone make the argument that they've gotten that much more useful, that having like volumes of disclosures in the footnotes is like helpful. And arguably, it's made everything worse, right? And, and I've, I've experienced this myself where you can't do what is the right thing for your customers and your employees because of some weird revenue wreck thing. So I've, I've seen situations like this where the accounting standards is ruling, overruling what is the right thing to do for the, the benefit of the company. Yeah, that is bad if that's happening. Yeah. It's definitely happening. I've experienced that. Where decisions have to be done and made because of accounting standards, not because it's the right thing to do for customers. Bringing it back to the goodwill discussion about you know FASB, you know investigating what to do with goodwill. You know you said something last week, David, that was actually has stuck with me, and I've been thinking about it the whole week. You said that to you, goodwill is brand, and I owe you an apology because I was wrong <laughs> when when you said that. I said something like, oh, yeah, it's brand, but it's also all these other things. And then I went and looked into it, and it actually is a lot brand. And you can make the argument that almost all of it, in many cases, is brand value. And we don't currently, in US GAAP, we don't put brand on the books. It's an intangible asset. We're too scared as accountants to deal with it. So we just say, look, we're not going to put it on the books. It's, It's too difficult to value, too difficult to capitalize. And so we don't. Okay, that works great until you have an acquisition where brand is a big component of the value. And then as in the case with Amazon and Wells, uh, not Wells Fargo, uh, Whole Foods, you get $9 billion of goodwill added to Amazon's books and brand is in there somewhere along with other stuff. And now it's on the books. So we can't keep intangible assets off the books, even if we want to, because acquisitions force them onto the books and in this weird category called goodwill where they're all just lumped together and it makes it less transparent. I'm starting to feel like like the we're getting into a crisis, right? Like like it's building up to like what's the point of accounting? What's the point of accountants? What's the point of all of this? Because it's doing nothing but slowing down economic growth, arguably. It's putting a compliance cost on companies that they don't need to have and it doesn't create a lot of value for investors. So it arguably makes everything that we produce more expensive because every time you add a compliance cost, right, that gets passed through to consumers. So if we figured out how to reduce accounting standards to make them less rules-based and you know give accountants more discretion, actually trust them to make the right decisions inside of companies about what to capitalize and how to do it and all that stuff, then and maybe accounting would be more fun, maybe more useful, maybe it'd cost less. Maybe the just- Pentagon is cutting edge. Like the, they're already there. They're like, just screw it. Just journal entry out to some other stupid thing and they'll just cancel each other out eventually and nobody cares. You know, yeah, I I'm, I don't think we should go quite that far. The, but the, yeah. They're, 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 they're ahead of us is- in the curve. That's exactly what's <laughs> happening here. Or, or, or it's just a leading trend. Like everybody's going to start copying that. Well, so and none of this, of course, means that like accounting isn't going to be successful and great, but it's just this this traditional path of audit, tax, financial accounting inside of companies is just it's not where you want to be. I think if you if you want to have a great career, it's you got to branch out. If you're a CPA, you got to learn stuff beyond the CPA. Go learn those CFO type skills. The accounting background is really really helpful, right? It's just you don't want to get stuck doing financial statements for public companies that do you really want to be doing that for the rest of your career if investors aren't really using it? If it, It's like what? Uh, I think the, one of the last stats we cited was 14% of investor decisions. 14% of the decision by an investor. I'll say it another way. When an investor decides to invest in a company, only 14% of that de- decision is because of what's in the financial statements. 
I don't have that stat in front of me, but I really, I recall that. And if it's not that, it's a small amount. So do you really want to be doing that for your career? Do you really want to be auditing public companies? If the financial statements are not helpful, what's the, what's the point of the audit on these financial statements? There's a statements, whole industry right? built just, on this. A whole, into, yeah. billions and billions and billions and billions. Busy industry. work. A lot of it is a lot. Of, now, I'm not saying it's not, obviously, financial statements accounting, hugely important to the economy. We need them, but there's a ton of like busy work associated with it that we don't need. If we could just reduce it to what matters, then we all be better off. Amen. I love getting up on my soapbox here with you, with you David. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, it's just they're all related themes, right? Uh, over and over again. So, well, and how do we how do we bring this back down though to like you know most of our listeners are accountants and bookkeepers in public for small businesses, right? They, they we're not we're not doing accounting for big public companies. We're not doing GAP in most cases, right? We're doing cash basis books or modified cash basis. Or, you know, there's some cruel stuff going on, right? But it's not GAP. So, like, what you know. Why do we care about this? And I guess I just say because, hey, we have money in the stock market, right? So, Well, I think of that, but not just that. I think it, it's really the way you treat your clients, right? You could get in the minutia and overtrack things, right? And lose perspective when you're dealing with your client's books and not actually help your client because you're overly tracking and breaking out line items on receipts that don't need to be tracked that, to that detail level possibly and splits right. and classes and tags and all this other stuff. And you miss the point of actually helping your client, right? So, so I think it totally relates because that's what's happening right now, right? There's this – the overregulations getting away from running a corporation in a, in, a, in a good way possibly, right? And that's the same thing with their clients. It totally relates. You know, Gene Marks talked about this once in an article. Uh, actually, it was in one of his books that I read. It's a book for small business owners. And he says on hiring an accountant, he said, your accountant's going to try and sell you financial statements, income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flows. And they're going to spend, you're going to spend a lot of money generating these reports and they're not really that useful to you. <laughs> I'll have to dig it up for you, David, but it's, it's really funny. And it's true, right? Like the accrual basis, income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flows are like not helpful to most small businesses. Like those are not going to move the needle for them. They need completely different information. So that's the takeaway. What information they need, we won't go into that right now. So speaking of information, so one thing everybody needs is bank feeds, right? Yep. So I don't know if you saw, so we talked about Plaid, what, two weeks ago, they got acquired by Visa for half a bajillion dollars or something ridiculous, yep, 450 yep. million. It was a ridiculously high number. Well, there's another competing company that just raised 4 million. Um, it's a company called Teller. So T Teller raises 4 million to take on Plaid in the US by providing API access to bank accounts. Well, and when I sent this to you, you said that you joked that that's probably what Plaid spends in a month. Well, I think I joked that Plaid probably spent that in the time it took you to paste the article. <laughs> so they were in the UK before and in Europe. And then with open banking, there's not a need for that type of a product. But what was really interesting for me reading this is the founder's tone against Plaid. He argues that people are not happy with the market leader. They think that people are not happy with Plaid. And I don't know if that's true. I've, I mean, I've talked to a lot of developers, almost every app. I look at is using Plaid. I'm not hearing grumblings about Plaid. Now, maybe some end users complain about it because, you know, there was an adage like it wasn't working with this bank or wasn't working with this bank because that's the typical faults of screen scraping. The founder, he actually gets into this a little bit about his app a little bit. And so Plaid uses screen scraping, which he calls it is a creaky technique. And so the way screen scraping basically works is you're, it's a web browser and that data travels to the web browser and the bank is sending data to a web browser. When you log into online banking, what you see is what is getting sent to Plaid. Yes. Yeah. Now, what he's done, they do it a different way. They're tricking the bank. This was the way I read this, is that they reverse engineered the banking app. So they take the Bank of America mobile app, reverse engineer it. So I think what they're doing is they're sending a signal. So the bank thinks they're communicating with their own mobile app. And then he's pulling the data out that way. And I'm just like, if he thinks the banks were blocking Plaid over and over again, like they're going to lose their minds when they find out this is going on. Yeah, they, they, they could just shut it down, right? Well- Wait, so tell me how it's working again. Okay, so, and there's not tons of details, right? But right. so I'll just read this straight out uh, here. So he, along with the co-founder, Dan Palmer, had spent several years building an early version of Teller that reverse engineered the APIs used by UK banks for their own mobile apps and offered access to developers that wanted to create apps using banking data. It was billed as more a robust and real-time alternative to screen scraping. So screen scraping is the bank 
knows your browser, it sends the data, and then you're just getting the HTML and pulling stuff out of that HTML. Yeah. He's connecting into the banks under the guise of being their own mobile app. Yeah. Like this is yep. insane. Well, hey, so so you said before all of this uh, about the actual how it works, you questioned is Plaid working for people? Given the bank feeds are breaking a lot, right? And most bank feeds, a lot of them are using Plaid. We can assume that issues with Plaid might be behind it. And I found an example. Jason Deshays said in response to our discussion about you need a budget that they use USAA. He and his wife use USAA for banking and the security is all jacked. It requires us to recredential whenever we pull transactions. So they're connecting YNAB to their USAA bank accounts and they have to re-authenticate every single time. And I looked it up and YNAB uses Plaid. Yeah. And it's and it's not so much because of Plaid. It's 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 not having an opening API of the bank, right? Right. So that every time you sign to that bank, you have to reauthenticate. And and until the bank support, which obviously we're seeing now with Chase, we're seeing with Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they're all starting to support some authorized off um, off token access instead of screen scraping. Mm-hmm. Right? We'll see. I just can't imagine tricking the banks is a good play. Like I just don't see that. I don't. I don't see that going down well. Well, that's all the time we've got for today. David, great chat- chatting with you as usual. If people want to get in touch, where's the best place for them to do that? On Twitter, I'm at David Leary, but it feels like a lot of people like to message me on LinkedIn. So use LinkedIn messaging if that's where you're at instead. Yeah, I'm Blake Oliver. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can connect with me, message me there. If you do connect with me, please leave a note saying that it's the podcast because otherwise I have no idea who you are and you might be a bot. <laughs> And you can also email me at blake at blakeoliver.com. And if you are interested in getting notified whenever we post new episodes, you can join our email list. We'll also keep you appraised of where we're going to be this year. Go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com and scroll to the bottom of any page and you will see a sign-up form for our email newsletter. If you join that, you'll get notifications of new episodes in your inbox with links to the show notes and any other special communications that uh, we want to send you. And we're starting to figure out where we're going this year. So in about two weeks, we should be able to put up a final list of where we expect to be. Well, uh, David, pleasure as usual. I'll see you here next week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Looking for some more great cloud accounting content? Ryan Lozana started and sold his own cloud accounting firm in just five years. Now he helps firms stay on the cutting edge through his free weekly email curating the top five pieces of content that help you modernize your firm. Visit futurefirm.co slash cloud accounting to sign up. That's futurefirm.co slash cloud accounting. One of the biggest hurdles accounting firms face is finding training that is current and relevant. There is an answer, Elephant Training. Elephant offers webinars and training on Xero, QuickBooks, cloud-based apps, and modern practice management issues like remote leadership and creative compensation. Their instructors are firm owners who also happen to be international experts in cloud accounting. This year, Elephant is offering recordings of their most popular webinars plus additional valuable resources in their brand new learning library. You can use the code CAP20 for 20% off your subscription. Bulk licenses for firms are also available. Visit elephanttraining.com for more info. That is E-L-E-F-A-N-T training.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes in the links to get more info.